folks, and happy Tuesday. And thank you for coming back and joining me tonight here on Next on the T. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. And, and I sure hope this week is going really well for you so far. If it is, that's awesome. If for whatever reason it isn't, you know what? Sit back, relax. Let us take your mind off everything else going on in your life for the next hour. And you know, folks, one of the great privileges of doing this show is the great people that uh, we get to spend some time with. And, and collectively, we all get to hear their stories and their insights. And tonight is a wonderful example of that. I've got two great guests that I'm extremely excited to have back on the show with me. First up, I'm going to get a return visit from two-time major champion, World Golf Hall of Famer, and three-time victorious Ryder Cup captain, Tony Jacklin. Mr. Jacklin has also written several books, and he has a new fictional book that has come out, just released today, and the title is Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf. So, of course, we're going to talk about that, right? We'll, we'll get some of his stories from, you know, his time, do, you know, captaining the Ryder Cup, which uh, he was a part of, like I say, three consecutive winning teams for the European side. So we'll talk about that. We'll look ahead to this year's event. Plus memories from his victory in the 1969 Open Championship and the 1970 U.S. Open. So very excited to have Mr. Jacqueline back on the show with me. He'll join me here in just a few moments. Following him, I'm going to get a return visit from one of the top instructors in the game and the top instructor up in Western New York, named the 2017 uh, Western New York uh, Teacher of the Year, and that's Brian Jacobs. Brian uh, is a wonderful friend of the show. It's been so good getting to know him over the last couple of years. You've probably also seen him on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy, so we'll tap into Brian's many great playing lessons, including A, how to get warmed up, right? So, you know, a lot of folks up in uh, Brian's neck of the woods are just starting to get their golf clubs out. So how do we warm up and get ready for uh, these early rounds of golf and the golf season there, right? We'll talk about how to hit better pitch shots from 30 yards and in, plus how to get better distance control on our lag putts and consistently make those three to four foot knee knockers. So all of that when Brian joins me, he'll be along a little bit later on in this half hour. So a lot more great stories and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the Tee. Again, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me over the next hour. Before we get started, I want to remind you about our good friend Matthew Lawrence and his show Backspin Golf, which airs Sunday mornings from 8 to 9 a.m. Eastern Time. It's my regular Sunday, 8.03 a.m. tea time. It's broadcast on ESPN Radio AM 1300 WLXG up in Lexington, Kentucky. You can stream it live by going online to their site, WLXG.com, or by downloading the WLXG app. It's a great way to start your Sunday mornings. His four-minute older brother, Mitchell, also has a great golf show that marries golf and travel. It's called Talking Golf Getaways, which you can find online at golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom. He and his co-host, Darren Bunch, travel all over the world. and They let you know great places to play, stay, and eat while you're there. Again, it's called Talking Golf Getaways, and you can stream it on golfnewsnet.com or over on Audio Boom. And as you all know, we are sponsored by the French Lick Resort. Let's hear a word from our friend Steve Rondonero about the great things they have going on up there. Play legendary golf at French Lick Resort, the only place in the country where you can play courses by two Hall of Fame designers on the same property. Our Pete Dye and Donald Ross courses offer two very different challenges. Experience them both and save with our Hall of Fame package. Our two historic hotels are unique as well. Cap it off with a fun visit to the French Lick Casino. Check us out online at FrenchLick.com. Bring a group and save even more. Play legendary golf this season at French Lick Resort. 
Yeah, folks, be sure to go online to FrenchLick.com to see for yourself what a wonderful place it is and to book your stay as well. And, folks, you've heard me talking about Club Hub sensors over the last several months. It's the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there on the market. Other shot trackers tell you what happened. Club Hub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have Club Hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grips. And I can tell you, since I put the Club Hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and the layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Club Hub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the, I, and the uh, app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And again, no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to clubhubgolf.com and order your set of Club Hub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. Please also check out our friends at the Bobby Jones Apparel Company by going online to bobbyjones.com. Their spring collection has arrived, and the shift in seasons is an opportunity to change things up layer upon layer. They've got some great new details and fresh colors, new additions with genuine enduring character. They make style easy. Find carefully coordinated outfits in a variety of colors and options by going online to bobbyjones.com. And we're also proud to be uh, partnering with Russ Holden and the folks over at Caddy for a Cure. One of the most unique opportunities in the world of professional golf is available to you through Caddy for a Cure. Spend a day inside the ropes with one of the world's best players as their caddy. It's a fantastic way to have the time of your life while supporting our wounded service members and Fanconi anemia. You're going to get to walk side-by-side side with your tour player experiencing professional golf as an insider. In addition to the amazing experience you're going to have, you're going to get a fantastic gift package from Caddy for Your Cure, which includes Under Armour logoed apparel and an eyewear package, a tour-grade Caddy bib suitable for autographs and framing, a tin cup ball marking gift, chef's cut real jerky, and professional photographs from your day. They've got spots available right now to caddy for Jason Bond or Rory McIlroy. So go online to caddyforacure.com. That's C-A-D-D-Y-F-O-R-A-C-U-R-E. Caddyforacure.com to learn more. All right, now back with me here on Next on the T is Tony Jacklin. Let me remind you about Mr. Jacklin's background. He turned pro at the age of 17 back in 1962. In 1968, he became the first European player to win on the PGA Tour since the 1920s at the uh, Jacksonville Open Invitational. A year later, he won his first major at the Open Championship at Royal Lytham in St. Anne's. In 1970, he won the U.S. Open at Hazeltine, becoming the first British player to win the U.S. Open since Ted Ray in 1920. In 1985, he captured, uh, captained, I should say, the European team to a Ryder Cup victory, which marked the first loss by the U.S. team since 1957. Back that up with a second consecutive Ryder Cup win in 1987, marking the first ever U.S. loss on American soil. He would go on to make it a three-peat for Europe in 1989. 2002, he was elected into the World Golf Hall of Fame. 
2006, he and Jack Nicholas opened a concession club in Bradenton, Florida, commemorating the putt conceded by Mr. Nicholas to Mr. Jacqueline, which ensured the 1969 Ryder Cup competition would end in a draw. In all, Mr. Jacqueline has won eight times on the European Tour, four times on the PGA Tour, and, twi- and twice on the Senior Tour. He has a wonderful new book that is hitting stores today titled Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf, which he wrote alongside Shelby Astro. And I'm honored that he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Mr. Jacqueline. Thank you for coming back on the show. No, it's my pleasure, Chris. Thank you. So, Mr. Jacqueline, let's start out by talking about your new book, which is a uh, fictional account of a guy named Eddie Benison, who is having a lot of success out on the Champions Tour until a Golf Magazine article accuses him of cheating and doping. So I'm curious, what inspired you to write a book like that? Well, it, it wasn't me. It was a chance meeting, actually, with uh, my co-author, Shelby, at the Ryder Cup uh, at Hazeltine. We, we hit it off together, and he'd already written a couple of uh, uh, novels, and uh, he told me that he was working on this book about golf. He's an avid golfer. He's crazy for the game. And uh, uh, he gave me the outline of the book. We, 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 we went beyond that. I started collaborating with him, and... Uh, you know, I was intrigued by the whole, uh, the, the story, the way it was all done. The golf aspect was, uh, I mean, he's, Shelby's just an unbelievable, uh, avid amateur. And I think I was able to bring some perspective of the professional game into it for him. Uh, it's a fascinating read. It's a, it's a terrific read. And, uh, you know, here we go, you know, 18 months or, Almost two years later, uh, we're launching it, and uh, it's a very exciting time for both of us. And Mr. Jacqueline, you even weave, you guys weave into the story a woman accusing Dennison, the main character, right, of physical abuse. So this is kind of a, a complete destruction of the man's character. Talk about that and, you know, bringing all of that together um, in, into a kind of a, a world about, you know, First Amendment rights, free speech, and how it's both a sword and a shield. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it was uh, it was Charlie Mayfair, the lawyer, uh, uh, the defense, uh, his job to keep that story out of the courtroom. And it goes back and forth. The characters are in this thing are so strong. And uh, that, in fact, the first time I read it, uh, and I said to my wife, you know, this is this has got this is a move this is movie stuff and uh i mean obviously benison was devastated when these uh stories came out and golf confidence of a golfer the very fine line you 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 have to straddle to be a, a great player his confidence was wrecked after these articles were written about him uh the whole courtroom thing and back and forth between the courtroom and golf uh it's it's just a fascinating read all together just a a couple more on the book and it, you know like i say it's 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 a bit about it, at least it comes across to me as a, about first amendment rights but it also sort sort of seems to me like it is a commentary a bit about you know our media 
and then sort of a statement on society and, and what it's like out there for, you know, the, the professional athletes today. Is, is all of that really the, the story about, you know, the underlying story of the story? Uh, absolutely. And I remember in my early days when, you know, when I was in my pomp, you know, the British press were a tough bunch and, uh, you, you get a lot of stuff written about you from time to time that's just not uh, uh, exactly true. Uh, you know, sometimes they they make stuff up, and uh, this is this is uh, that this is why I was drawn into this. Uh, I, in many ways, you know, I left Britain uh, as a young man because I I hated what was happening through the media to me. You know, I mean, they would take. There were different opinions from different uh, fronts, uh, and they didn't always know what they were talking about. And, and it's not the right place. It's not where you want to be. Uh, so I've, I've been living outside of Britain for quite some many years now, in part because of that. And uh, when, I, when I read about Benison's predicament, as it were, uh, I became, uh, you know, it, I couldn't help but... Uh, sympathize and uh, anyway you, you you read it it's it's a terrific uh, it's a terrific story um and uh you know as i say that self-confidence that he had winning the tournaments he won was obviously dented by these uh, malicious uh articles that were written and uh, uh and there's great stuff in there with caddies and old stuff that I contributed uh, from days past and, you know, great players involved in it all. It's, uh, it was fun, a lot of fun. Mr. Jacqueline, it would seem to me, you know, looking back over the breadth of your career, right, and, and some of the things you just mentioned, you know, the things that that happened to you or were said about you and, and those sorts of things, did, did, do you remember, was there a point in time, and I've wondered about this, in, in lots of different aspects, not only on this show and other shows that I do, but the media changed at some point in time from uh, d delivering the news and reporting on the news to reporting on sensationalism and, and what could, you know, get more headlines or get somebody to, you know, now in today's society, right, get more clicks on the Internet and that sort of thing. Do, do you remember, was there a point in time that you saw that things sort of flipped from being about the news to being about sensationalism. Oh, absolutely, I remember. But I mean, I think in I think Britain uh, back in the '60s was ahead of America in the sensationalism, and uh, you know, in in my sport, I was sort of central to that, and a lot of it was very hurtful, and uh, you know, I was I was quite sensitive, emotional, if you like. Um, you know we're not machines, and uh, you can't help but read the press. And when, when you're reading stuff that's basically made up, it it it, it it's hurtful, and uh, uh, it's it's all changed. I, I actually found that the American press were a lot more straightforward and, uh, than than the Brits were back then. I'm going back 40, 50 years, but uh, you know everything changes, and. Uh, Certainly, this social media and uh, sensationalism that exists today. I mean, you know, look at our president. He has to, uh, he, he's, he's the brunt of most of it. And, uh, you know, I, he's got to be very thick skinned on that basis. Uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, I think it's a very typical topical story right now. I mean, it's... So, are you, you mentioned this is sort of the stuff of movies. Is that where you'd like to see this ultimately go? Can you see a movie project coming out of this book? Well, uh, that was the first thing I saw. The, the characters in it are so strong uh, that um, it just jumped out at me. Uh, now, whether whether that happens or not, uh, we'll see. But uh, uh, Mayfield, the lawyer, is, is such a strong character. He's actually the main character. It's not Eddie Benison. It's his, it's his defender in court that is the true character in this story and uh, you know how the, the things he has to deal with and, and we uh, Jack Jack Nicholas was kind enough to uh, do a little uh, bleep for us and uh, you know it, it says you know it's a bit like around the golf and I never realized it at the time but uh, you know, around the golf is all about the bounces and how quickly you, you can recover from the bad bounces, if you like. And in a courtroom, it's it's very much the same for for, the, for that legal man. Uh, you never know what uh, a witness is going to say and how quickly can you recover from you know a slipped word or a slipped statement. It's uh, it was it's all fascinating and a wonderful experience. I didn't think at this time in my life. I was going to have so much fun doing anything, honestly. It was, uh, it was a great, great privilege to be involved in it. So do you see yourself getting involved in more fictional stories kind of like this? Well, uh, you know, I, wouldn't, I would never say never. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed this exercise and working with Shelby, who, you know, his background is, is the uh, top legal counsel for McDonald's. Uh, he's to hear some of these stories uh, of the old days in Chicago. Uh, it's, it's all been fascinating, and our wives gelled uh, wonderfully. We've, we've had some wonderful times over this. It's been fun more than anything, and if we succeed with it, well, that, that's, uh, that's a bonus. Mr. Jacklin, I want to I wanna talk a little bit about your career before we let you go. and. And um, everyone seems to always like to talk about the putt on the last hole of the 69 Ryder Cup that Mr. Nicholas conceded to you. But I, I want to go one hole back because on 17, you made a 50-foot eagle putt to keep that match going. What was it like yeah. to make a putt of that nature, you know, when you had to have it in, in a pressure situation like that? Well, I can only tell you, you know, I was 25 years old. And as a 25-year-old, you think all things are possible. You think you're immortal, I suppose. And I had all the confidence in the world. I, we, we played the 18 holes in the morning, and I, 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 I beat Jack four and three in the morning. I was, I was on top of my game. I was pretty confident. I lost the 16th hole. We were all, all square after 15, and I lost the 16th. I made bogey there, and Jack made par. But to hold that putt on the 17 from 50 feet, and he was inside me for, the, for his eagle, uh, you know, that was a real uh, hammer blow to him. Uh, it, it was a sensational week. You know, obviously we 
as a team, uh, Great Britain and Ireland in those days, it was, it was before the Europe, Europe got involved. Uh, it was the first time we'd really done anything in, in, in Ryder Cup for, uh, well, since, since 57. So it was, uh, it was an important time and, uh, for that one to go in was, I'm not saying it was a fluke because I was aiming for the hole and I was trying to make the putt, but for it to happen to go in at that, uh, moment in time was uh, extra special and of course Jack ultimately conceding the two footer was uh, I, I mean I was ready to make it uh, but you know the fact that he picked it, uh, my marker up and conceded was a, a great gesture of sportsmanship and uh, an immense relief to me at the time that I didn't have to do it <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Ryder Cups that, that you captained. And, and prior to 1985, whether it was Great Britain or the European team, hadn't won a Ryder Cup since 1929. And here you are leading the team, and, and you had the likes of Seve and Nick Faldo, Ian Woosnam, Bernard Langer, Sam Torrance, Sandy Lott. You had a great team. What was it like getting those guys to believe something that hadn't been done for nearly 60 years, that this team could come together and do it? Well, it was, it was a special time and timing, I think, you know, when you look back, especially in sports, just timing is everything. Uh, when I was asked to do it in 83, the circumstances weren't ideal. Uh, I only had six months to prepare to be, uh, the, the, the team. I hadn't got any captain's picks. Uh, it was, uh, you know, I had to get things together in very short order, but I, I recognized that really we were being treated like second class citizens by our own PGA and and I requested that everything be upgraded you know we at least when you stood on the first tee we needed to be even Stephen with our with our American uh, counterparts they were flying Concorde we were flying British Airways in economy not knowing what we were paying for or what anybody was going to give us. We'd wear anything anybody gave us clothing-wise. And I upgraded everything. We got a team room. I organized that because we were having meetings in the corner of locker rooms. Uh, you know, it just, it, none of it was ideal. And our self-esteem suffered greatly. Uh, and I played seven matches myself over a 14-year period before I became captain. Uh, and, and, you know, I just knew the way things were done in America. And uh, anyway, once we sorted that out, the players really just were fantastic. They delivered and, and it was a golden time for European golf. We had, as you mentioned, we had the Langers and Woosnams and Faldos. Sevi was already established. Sandy Lyle came into the picture, Alasabelle. And, uh, you know, they all rallied and, and, and rose to the occasion. Once the confidence was there and their self-esteem was restored, they delivered like the champions they were. And, uh, and the Ryder Cup's been a, uh, an enormous, uh, success ever since. We all look forward to it. And of course, the Ryder Cup, Without that success, the President's Cup wouldn't be there. The, the people, the guys from Australia and South Africa wanted to, a part of that. They saw the camaraderie and 
you know, team spirit that was all going on. And the, the gals also got involved in 93 with the Solheim Cup. And, and all these events now, these team events, have become uh, sensational. The public love them, uh, and, and, and the players also love them. And it's a, it's a solitary pursuit for the most part, golf. And to get in that team uh, environment uh, as, as we do in Ryder Cup, and it, it's, it's so special, and the memories uh, are forever. So... Uh, it was it was a, a great experience. I wouldn't change anything about my major wins. I wouldn't give them up for the world. But my Ryder Cup experiences were extraordinary, and uh, I take them to the grave. Yeah, just a little bit more on that because that was you know my next question. And, and I, you know how how did the feeling of that team success and again all those years of drought for for the European team and to get that win. How did that compare with the feelings that, you know, individually winning the two majors? Well, it was different. It was a different time in my life. I couldn't have captained a Ryder Cup when I won my majors at 25. I hadn't got the maturity or experience. But uh, it, it's hard to put words to it, uh, the satisfaction. You know, you, you're trying to cut. Uh, uh, you're looking at body language of players the whole time. You're... You're trying to be their best friend and roughing in cotton wool the whole week. Uh, it, it, it was exhausting, uh, uh, you know, to do it, but the satisfaction at the end of it, and as I say, that sort of sense of team, and you, you, you're leaning on guys and having one-on-one -on -one conversations that will always be private, you know, just to motivate them, uh, and to see it all come to fruition with the, with victory is, 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 is hard to put words to. Uh, suffice to say, uh, you know, there's a very special bond, bonding uh, between the players and, and the rest of the team. It was, uh, you know, I've had 33 years now, I think it is, to, to think about it all. It's... Uh, it was a great experience and something that I cherish, and, and those relationships will go on forever. Mr. Jacqueline, one more before we let you go. And, and I saw an interview that you did several years ago regarding your Open Championship victory in 1969. And in the interview, you said your overall thought process for the tournament was, was to stay close, stay in the hunt, and you never know, it might just be your day. What did you tell yourself? The night before, as you're, you know, trying to sleep on a two-stroke lead heading into the final round, and guys chasing you like, you know, like Mr. Nicholas, Peter Thompson, R Roberto DiVincenzo, Bob Charles, all right there behind you. What did you tell yourself, and and, and were you able to get much sleep? Well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, I was. We rented a house. Bert Yancey and Tom Weisskopf and our respective wives all stayed together that week. And I took a sleeping pill at about 9, 9.30. And it was actually Bert Yancey guided me upstairs and put me into bed. And I had eight hours solid sleep. So, you know, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain, uh, you know, uh, the mental state. I, I knew I needed that sleep. I couldn't have, uh, I, I couldn't have done without that. I woke up refreshed early the next morning. And then, of course, you've got this sort of dilemma of waking, 
half a day before you tee off. I think the tee off time was about 2.30. And uh, all the nerves and trying not to go uh, to the golf course and, or keep your mind away from what may happen. I think I was at a museum or something on the, in the morning uh, trying to keep my mind away from what could happen that afternoon because it's an in, enormous uh, thing. And the more you want something, of course, the, the more likely you are to get ahead of yourself. That's just human nature. But the fact that I was able to deal with it uh, was down to, you know, the, I'd, I'd had a couple of years by then playing the American tour. I'd, I'd had my win at Jacksonville in 68. Uh, I knew I was a, a good player and, and I wanted to be as good as I could be. And uh, as I said earlier, I was young, I was resilient, I was, uh, you know, I, w I was ready and the time was right. And uh, I managed to, uh, to, 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 to get it done, but it, uh, I could never underestimate the hurdle. It was, uh, it was, uh, it's a tall order. Winning majors, of course, and I knew winning majors was all it was ever about, really, uh, if you want to be remembered. So, uh, I, I've, be, I've been very fortunate in my life to, uh, have, uh, won a couple. Of course, I, I went close a couple of times too, but we won't go there. It, 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 suffice to say, I, I was gratified and uh, it was an amazing time in my life, especially being so young. Again, the title of Mr. Jacqueline's new book is called Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf. It uh, was released today. It's available out on Amazon.com. Mr. Jacqueline, thank you so much for being generous with your time and coming back and uh, being a part of the show tonight. You're fantastic. I've always enjoyed the time I've gotten to spend with you. So I thank you for doing it again tonight, and I hope we get the privilege of doing it again real soon. Thank you, Chris. My pleasure. God bless you. All right. Take care, Mr. Jacqueline. All the best to you and your family. Thank you. That is, again, the great uh, Tony Jacklin. And, again, one more time, the name of the book, Bad Lies, A Story of Libel, Slander, and Professional Golf. Again, it's available today out on Amazon.com. Before I get to my next guest, Brian Jacobs, I want to give a shout-out to a few of our sponsors. First, you've heard me talking about Clubhub Sensors over the last several months. It is the best portable shot tracking and swing analysis golf device out there on the market. Because other shot trackers tell you what happened, Clubhub tells you what happened and why. Take the progress that you make on the practice tee directly to your rounds with the only device of its kind that can go on the course with you. I have club hub sensors on all of my clubs. They screw right into the tops of your grip. And I can tell you, since I put the club hub sensors on my clubs, I've learned more about my swing and all of the data surrounding it than I've learned over the 40 years I've been playing the game. Because not only do you get GPS distances to the hazards and to the green, but after your round, you can look back at the images and layout of every hole in the course that you just played and see exactly where and how far you hit every shot. No other GPS tool on the market captures that and lets you go back and review your round the way the Club Hub app does. It's available for Androids or iPhones, and the app keeps track of your swing speed of every club in your bag, your tempo, your angle of attack, plus you get a 3D view of your swing as well. And no other rangefinder can do all of that for you. Go over to ClubHubGolf.com and order your set of Club Hub sensors today and enter the coupon code NEXT. 
That's N-E-X-T to get 10% off on all products at checkout. Again, clubhubgolf.com, enter the coupon code NEXT, and you're going to get the best GPS and swing analysis tool on the market for a great low price, and you're going to see your game in a whole new way. I also want to remind you about our friends over at Power Bar. Energy and focus on the course are essential, whether you're playing, you know, out on the tour, right, in your club championship, or even your weekend four ball with your buddies. Par Bar is the golfer's nutritional bar that can help you with both of those things, energy and focus. Eat some before you get to the first tee and the rest every three holes until it's finished, and you're going to play with more energy and focus to win. Par Bar was developed by a lifelong golfer and a food scientist to help all golfers play their best. Go online to parbargolf.com and order yours today. We are also excited to be partnering with the Ben Hogan Golf Equipment Company. They are back with the same great equipment that you know and love without the retail markup that you hate. You can now buy premium Ben Hogan irons, wedges, utility irons, hybrids, bags, and accessories directly from the factory at prices your wallet's really going to appreciate. Visit them online by going to BenHoganGolf.com or give them a call at 844-53-HOGAN. That's 844-534-6426 to learn more and order your set today. And folks, this segment of the show is sponsored by the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. And now joining me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is not only one of the great coaches in the game, but also one of the best individuals you'll meet anywhere on the planet, and that's Brian Jacobs. Let me remind you about Brian's background. He earned his undergraduate and master's degree of education at NYU. 2006, he became a PGA Assistant Director of Instruction at Ravenwood Golf Club up in Rochester, New York, simultaneously becoming a staff instructor for Hank Haney Golf. In 2010, he became the Director of Golf Instruction at a Hank Haney certified and a Hank Haney certified instructor at the Iran Dequa Country Club up in Rochester. 2014, he became a lead instructor on the Golf Channel's Golf Academy. 2015, he started the Brian Jacobs Golf Academy at Ridgemont Country Club, also up in Rochester. Last year, he was named the Western New York Teacher of the Year. He's also a big Bills fan and has become a wonderful friend of the show here over the last few years, and I'm excited that he is back with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Brian, thanks for coming back on the show. How are you, my friend? Chris, thank you so much. I'm doing awesome. How about you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you. Even better now that you're on the show, my friend. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brian, we got to start things off, right? we got to talk a little bit about your Bills. I think they got Absolutely. the best quarterback in the draft in Josh Allen. I know he's got some work to do on his accuracy, but as a 6'5", 235-pound pound quarterback with a great arm, you got to be happy you got him. Super happy. I was actually at the draft party, and, and – uh, um, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, you heard a few murmurs in the crowd, you know, they wanted the other Josh, but, uh, I was thrilled, uh, that they got Josh Allen. I mean, he is a big dude, big dude. And, and, uh, he's excited about being there. And, and um, uh, it's really cool. I teach quite a few of the staff members too, and they're excited to have him there and, um, they're happy to work with him. So I'm, I'm excited about the future for him. So what do you expect going into week one? Do you think he, he gets the starting nod right away or A.J. McCarron, the, you know, who you brought over from the Bengals as a, as a free agent, do you think it goes his way? You know, A.J. McCarron was another guy that, that uh, I thought a number of years ago the Bills should have really 
taken a hard look at when they needed a quarterback. And uh, I think A.J. McCarron probably will start the season. I still – I like Nathan Peterman a lot. So I think there's going to be uh, some great competition in camp, and it wouldn't surprise me if, if Nathan Peterman actually started the season. Um, I, I put Sean McDermott's doing and Brandon Bean also that the guys, you know, they got to earn things. So um, I just think it's an open competition, even though Josh Allen was a, a high draft pick and, and um, they'll probably let the chips kind of fall the way they go. And, and uh, I, I don't know, I'm pulling for Nathan Peterman. I like AJ McCarron and, and I like Josh Allen too. So I think it's going to be fantastic competition, which is all you can ask for. How do you feel about your situation at wide receiver? Can uh, Kelvin Benjamin and maybe a guy like Zay Jones be the guys this year? I think so. I think they can, actually. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen Kelvin Benjamin in person, but he is a mammoth human being. I mean, he is a large man. Um, I couldn't believe that he's a receiver and he moves as well as he does. Um, and I think Zay Jones, you know, he got a little more confidence last year and and started, they started getting him the ball a little bit more. So I think the sky's the limit for him as well. But I think their receiver core, I think it's going to be very, very good. Um, they drafted, uh, Rick, uh, Ricky Prohl's son also late in the draft. And so he's got a good bloodline. So it'll be interesting to see how he does as well. All right, Brian, let's, let's talk a little golf. And first, yeah. you know, I want to talk about your show. You have your own show now called The Takeaway which you film yeah. live every Tuesdays at, at 2 o'clock Eastern time on uh, Facebook Live. Talk about what you do on your show. Well, we, we are basically a Golf Channel-supported um, program, which is great. They actually help name it and, and uh, help me promote a little bit. Uh, so I want to give them a shout-out. And then every week we I take a look at questions that come in from the viewers um, and then try to pick something out that's intriguing. We're still trying to find the sweet spot. Um, we shot indoors starting obviously in February um, and we're getting viewership. Uh, last week we had a little over 450 viewers, which um, is quite a few actually for Facebook Live at, at 2 p.m. So we've either got a lot of people slacking off at work or, um, <laughs> you know, we've got a lot, of, a lot of avid golfers or maybe both. Um, today we shot outdoors for the first time and it was windy. It was about 30 miles per hour today and just beautiful outside. So we, we needed to get outdoors, but probably continuing. We'll, we'll continue with uh, viewer questions, uh, answering questions, and then we'll probably move back indoors for uh, sound quality. And then each, each month, um, I have my mental conditioning coach on. Um, he's been great. Dr. Steven Gonzalez. Um, and he is fantastic. And we talk about the mental game once a month. Um, so it's, it's been great. We've been having a good time and, and, uh, have been using some interns from a local university. Uh, there are sports management, um, majors that are getting ready to graduate and they've had a ball learning about how to shoot and what angles to shoot at and how heavy to breathe and, you know, all that fun stuff. So earlier today, on the show, you talked about uh, a spring tune-up. So what should we be doing if we're just now starting to, you know, be able to dust off the clubs like up in your neck of the woods where we're just now yeah. being able to get out on the golf course and get back out on the range? What do we need to, need to do to get ourselves ready for a new golf season? Well, I, I think it's like anything else. Number one, you got to wake your body up a little bit. 
um, you know, traditionally people up here will sit around, uh, you know, lay on the couch. Some people are active, you know, they'll ski or we, we try to encourage people to come in at least once a month and then try to get involved in some type of regular fitness program, some functional movement, maybe yoga, um, Pilates, something that's going to keep them flexible and limber. And if they're not going to do that, then when they do jump back into the game, we'd like to see them go heavy on the stretching, you know, at the very beginning and just kind of tee the ball up, get their alignment situated and not be, you know, too hard on themselves. Uh, uh, we find, you know, a lot of people are standing on the range with a lot of head shaking, you know, at the beginning of the year. And some people are saying, well, where did the winter go? And, you know, it's spring already and I can't hit it. I can't move. And, and so it takes a little bit of time for them to limber up. And, and then uh, the other thing too, is we try to get people to do is work on impact. Um, number one, you know, whenever you're playing golf is if the club face isn't where you want it, fix it. So we had, had a drill on today. It's just real simple. You just set two rods, maybe six or 10 inches apart, about five yards away and just try to drill balls through it and just work on ground contact, low point of your swing and impact. And that's kind of a fun way to get yourself um, resituated. We'll do some stuff too, where um, we'll have them hit balls with their feet together, hit on their trail leg only, their lead leg only, um, have their eyes closed and hit balls and, and just try to wake up their proprioception a little bit and, and get their bearings straight. And then they're kind of ready to play, which is, which is good. And most people up here, you know, they want to just go right out and shoot even par, you know, the first time they go out and it's wet and it's windy and it's cold and then it's hot. And, and so um, we're just trying to get them to wake the bodies up a little bit and, and take some time to ease into it a little bit. And you talk about some of the drills that you've got, uh, and you've got some great videos out on your website, brianjacobsgolf.com. Oh, and, and one of the ones that I was taking a look at, speaking of, you know, warming up in some of these drills, was the feet together piece. Talk about how that helps mm -hmm. us, you know, reestablish uh, uh, the balance that we need in our swings. Right. Well, our, our body has um, a GPS system, if you will, you know, in it. And we need to have proprioception for balance to be able to, move and walk and, and most people are um, avid on one side of their body and they're weak on the other. So we might do overspeed training with them where they're having their feet together, swinging as fast as they can. And then we'll have them do three or four right-handed, three or four left-handed swings to create balance. Then we'll have them come back um, and we'll set a target at a hundred yards and we'll give them an eight iron and say, okay, we're going to do a point system now where, it's target oriented. Eight iron obviously is going to go way farther than 100 yards, so they need to to uh, figure out how to use the club face, how to hit the club face square, um, as well as control their speed, as well as control impact. So it, it kind of alerts them a little different way than just going right into hitting golf balls. Um, and we work really hard at gaming um, at the academy, so we like to have people do randomized practice where they're hitting shots all over the place on purpose, and then they'll hit one square. So this is just kind of a lead into that. It's a tempo-building, balance-building um, type of activity. And, Brian, at, at your academy, and you've got a, a, a class coming up on May 21st that's something that would be perfect for me, which is breaking 85. I've, I've sort of been stuck yeah. in the 80 to 85 range for years. Mm -hmm. 
talk about what that program is and, and what I and, and people that are stuck in the same range with me, what do we need to do to kind of get now to whether that's breaking 80 or to the next you know level that we're trying to get to? Sure. We need, we need three things, basically. Uh, as part of the program, we do an assessment. So we find out whether they can curve the ball, impact, ground contact, how their body moves. We spend some time in, in group practice and we teach people how to practice. Um, and everybody's a little bit different. Because you're a slicer, um, you're all kind of in the same support group, but there's varying degrees of how much the ball curves. So some people might swing the path of the club, you know, uh, 20 degrees out to in, while I might swing it only one, so, or one or two, so the fix is a little bit different for, for me than it would be for the other student. Um, the other thing we do is we want people to play. So a big part of that program is getting people out on the golf course and teaching them how to play, teaching them how to control their emotions, uh, how to use adrenaline, you know, properly, and um, how we can get dopamine in their brain, so when, how to make themselves happy. And so we use a process uh, that I learned from um, uh, Lynn Marriott and Pia Nielsen from Vision 54, where we use a play box, we use a think box, play box, memory box, and we get them into that process so that they're just kind of going point A to point B in a happy way. Um, and we've got some great stories. I've got a gentleman that I work with now that when he started with me, he would shoot 145, 150. And uh, last week he shot 103. So he's on the, on the cusp of breaking 100, and he'll drop like a lead balloon. He'll drop through the 90s and into the 80s pretty quick. Um, so we want to teach people how to play, how to practice, how to make their practice valuable. Um, and most importantly, have fun. And, and as they're doing that, get into a process. So uh, most of the times the people aren't committed into practice. They don't know what they're doing. They look online and they see a tip. Yeah, I'll do that one today. And then tomorrow it's different. So the assessment that we do is professionally done so they know for a fact that this is what's happening, this is why, and this is how we need to correct it. And it and it basically just shaves strokes off very, very quickly. So we guarantee they'll shoot 85 or under. They'll break it. And Brian, another video you have teaches us how to get more spin on our wedge shots. Talk about how shaft lean can help us get more or less loft on our pitch shots, say from 30 yards in. Sure, um, we do. We work on uh, Club 101 with the student, so we'll show them what dig and bounce is, uh, and then we'll teach them um, when you shallow out your swing a little bit more, you can create a little bit more spin. Uh, so we'll take them through a number of different shots, different heights. Um, we have we assess lies with them, so. Uh, someone will be right next to the green in deep rough. Um, you know, they'll have a short pin. You know, we'll talk to them about spin on the golf ball. It's going to be really tough to spin it out of the rough when you get a lot of grass between the golf ball and the club face. So when you're on a little cleaner lie, um, you'll be able to use the bounce a little bit more. And spin basically comes from precise contact on the golf ball. Um, and as you know, many people don't make precise contact on the golf ball. They don't make it with the bounce. If we make it with the dig, uh, they'll have the shaft leaning too far forward. Um, and the loft of their wedge or the launch of their wedge will be too low. 
So we have a little device from Ted Sheftick where um, we try to get wedge shots between 27 degrees and 30 degrees. Um, they're launched so that they can spin it properly. And we have a little gate that they can hit balls under and, and they'll spin every single time when they get the launch properly. So it's, it's kind of cool. We, we spend a lot of time, like I said before, with gaming, um, and trying to create feel for people. And then if they need, you know, to know we have TrackMan so we can show them, you know, scientifically that this is what you're doing. Um, and they love it. It's been fantastic. So hopefully that answered your question. Yeah, absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about putting, Brian. And one of the things I think sure. most of us struggle with is controlling the distance on a, on a lag putt. What's a good way for us to develop feel for distance on those lag putts so we're not either leaving the ball way short or we're blowing it past the hole? That's a great question. Um, you know, we find that people don't work on putting very much, but they three-putt a lot. Um, so part of our plans that we build for students is no three-putts, zero three-putts. Uh, Hank Haney was big on that. If you ever listen to his show, you know, the best way to eliminate high scores is no penalties, no three-putts, um, you know, no doubles. And, you know, obviously being higher handicapped, sometimes uh, people make doubles because they don't hit a lot of greens. Um, but if we can get people near the green, get them out in the green, and then uh, have them putt well, if we can keep them around 30 putts, they're going to be great. But lag putting is, is really an art. It's Part of it is green reading, and part of it is just being able to understand the speed, you know, downhill, uphill. Uh, you can you can uh, talk to people, and they might be have a straight downhill, you know, left-to-right putt, and they're not able to read it. So we might talk to them and say, hey, if we took a huge vat of water and we dumped it here, you know, where would the water owl go to? You know, and they'll say, oh, it's going to go that way. Okay, well, that's green reading. Um, part of it's with your feet. Um, one of the drills that we do is just a little ladder drill. You hit a putt three feet, and then every putt that you hit has to go past it, you know, by a foot. And you try to get people to get a sense of And then what you'll do is once they get out to 15 feet or 20 feet, you have them work their way back, and you just keep going back and forth. Um, and that's probably one of the best ways to uh, get people to learn how to lag. Um, when they're kids, the only thing they have in their mind is making it. With adults, they get a little more, you know, like you and I, for some reason we we can't let it go. And so we'll be four feet short, you know, on a 20-foot putt. And then as we're walking up, we're like, ah, we're angry, and we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't can't get it to go in the hole or get anywhere near the hole. Um you know, I've heard a long time ago, too, the best way to make somebody a better lag putter is to hit it closer, you know, to the hole. But the reality <laughs> of, you know, the reality of the situation is from, you know, 100, 110 yards or 120 yards, most amateurs are going to hit it about 20 feet. So they've got to be, they've got to be better putters. So we need to work at it a little bit more. Um, the other thing you can do, too, is, is, is take your putter Set your putter head in the center of the hole and, and measure out. And then right at the start of your grip, just put a T and do that all the way around the hole um, and make a make a grid or a box. Put into that. And it's about 17 inches, you know, and most of us can make a 17-inch putt. We'll make 9 out of 10. A tour player will make 10 out of 10. 
we get it past the hole too, because if you don't go past, it can't go in. So it's uh, a little bit of green reading. I would say the ladder drill and then the grid, that grid drill would be great. Brian, talk also about putter grip, right? Grip pressure. Mm. I know, uh, you know, a lot of players, you know, we, we get the, you know, we you know, choke, you know, we're choking the grip right. on the putter thinking right. it's going to help us keep, you know, the, our stroke in line and that sort of thing. How hard should we right. be gripping the putter? Um, that's a great question. I think 10, as hard as you can squeeze it is 10. And as soft as you can squeeze it is one. And I would have people around a four, you know, a three or a four. You know, we often hear, you know, I'll hold it like a bird. Well, not many people have held a bird. If you're talking to kids now, you would say, you know, hold it like a, a joystick, you know, on a computer. But, um, you know, they, we would uh, actually like to see their grip pressure be a little bit lighter, but we don't want it to, to hinge in their hands either. So a lot of times I'll just shake hands with people and, you know, they'll grip really hard and they'll say, well, can you feel my hand? Yeah, that's the grip pressure that we would want. Uh, on there, you, you know, you want to be free. You don't want to have a lot of tension in your, in your stroke. And I know people are worried about path and they're worried about face angle. And, and the big thing for us is can you get the, get the ball to start on mine? Um, regardless of what your stroke looks like, you know, I've seen really great putters put out to in. I've seen them put into out. I've seen them, you know, have shaft lean forward, shaft lean back. I mean, there are some generalities that would, would help, you know, in those situations. But I think putting, you know, the more I, I teach and the more I learn, a putting gets to be pretty personal on how they move, you know, even with the length of a putter. Um, you know, 35-inch putter, the only reason the putters are that long is so that they don't fall into your bag. Um, if you if you look out on tour, most of the putter lengths are 33 and a half, 34, 34 and a quarter, you know, but yet OEM companies make them 35. They make them longer. Um, so everybody walks in the shop, they get a 35-inch putter, and the putter could be too flat for them, or it could be because of the way they set up, the putter could be too upright. So I, I'd recommend people too to not just go to the big box stores and and hit putts, you know, on the platform and then buy it, um, go to someone, you know, like myself and get fit, you know, for your putter. You do everything else that way. So and we do a lot of fittings, a lot of putter bending. Um, I just talked to the gentleman the other day about it. He said, I can't make anything. Well, where are you hitting it? Well, I'm hitting it on the toe. Well, let's take a look at it. And this putter was, you know, four degrees upright you know, for him. So we needed to bend it down, you know, to get it flatter. And it was amazing. He could keep the ball online. And I said, well, you spent a lot of money on that putter. Wouldn't you want it to fit you properly? And he's like, oh, I thought we just bought him. I didn't know, <laughs> you know, so so that might be another good, good tool too for people why they don't make putts is their putter or their equipment doesn't fit them. Brian, uh, a couple more before we let you go. And, and one, sure. let our listeners know, what are all the different things that you have coming up that uh, they could benefit from, whether they're uh, in your neck of the woods up in western New York or uh, have the opportunity to check you out online? Sure. We have uh, the takeaways every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Um, in May, we have a couple of programs that are coming up. One is called No More Slice. Um, and it's three sessions and we call it our 90 for 90 series or 99 for 99. 
Um, they're basically 90-minute sessions with groups. We, we do a one in six uh, for instructors. We're doing another, <clears throat> excuse me, another group called Wedge Wonderful. Uh, we want to turn people into wedge, wedge masters or wedge assassins. Um, both of them are very, very uh, well attended. Uh, Break 85 program, which is, of course, another group. And then uh, my most popular program is uh, something called Project 1010, where we do 10 90-minute sessions, so 30 in a skill area, and then uh, um, another uh, 60 minutes out on the golf course. Uh, we're trying to reschedule my good friend Michael Breed. Um, he was supposed to come a couple weeks ago, and we just couldn't connect um, and get enough people to come in. So we're looking at the 21st of September. Uh, so he'll come in and he'll spend the day. Um, we'll do clinics all day long for patrons that are coming in and, and, uh, we're raising money for, uh, Western New York PGA Hope, which, which, uh, benefits our veterans in our area. Uh, so we use golf to help them assimilate back into their communities and, and sometimes give them a purpose to get up in the morning and say, Oh my gosh, I got, I got golf today. This is going to be great. So it kind of gives them a chance to break away from what they're going through a little bit. So we got a lot going on, and then I'll be doing some traveling. Uh, see, I'll be in New York City uh, later in this month, and then uh, I'll be in Colorado and Indiana, and then home for a little while. And we'll see wherever the wind takes me from there. So, Brian, let it, let our listeners know how can they follow you, whether it's online and then also on social media as well. Sure. Social media is at Brian Jacobs Golf. And then uh, they can come to BrianJacobsGolf.com. And if they have questions, um, just go right through the contact form. I'll answer anything they send. If they want to send video, there's no charge for it. I'm happy to connect with them. And and uh, if they can visit Rochester, come on up and, and look me up. We've got a great academy. And, and this show is very helpful, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, getting the word out a little bit more to your to your listeners. I, I really appreciate that. Oh, it's, it's always such a pleasure, Brian, getting to spend some time with you and uh, having you as part of the show. I hope you'll come back and do it again real soon, share more of your, your lessons, your insights, and uh, the stories with us because you're fantastic, my friend. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. And uh, anytime you need me, I'm on. I appreciate that very much. Take care, Brian. All the best to you and your family. Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay, Chris. Thanks so much, and hope your Steelers play great, and uh, hopefully the Bills and the Steelers uh, meet in the AFC Championship. <laughs> there you go. I'd love to see that happen from your lips to God's ears. Be, yeah, that would be awesome. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon, my uh, good man. All right. See you, Brian. You got it. That's the great Brian Jacob. You see why I like him so much? I mean, for crying out loud. I mean, all the great stuff that he's doing, you know, first of all, uh, in, in, you know, lessons and that sort of thing. But I love the enthusiasm in his voice. He's always so positive and he's got so many great, uh, videos out there available. And then on top of that, he'll let you send your video in of, of your swing and, and give you some analysis. It's fantastic stuff. Look, look forward to getting Brian back on the show again real soon. All right, before we close up shop, you know we always like to give you a reminder about our good friend and PGA Tour Pro Jim Estes and the great things that they are doing at the Salute Military Golf Association. Let's hear a word from Jim. The Salute Military Golf Association was created to provide rehabilitative golf experiences to the brave men and women who have been wounded while serving our country. 
Hi, I'm Jim Estes, PGA Golf Pro and co-founder of the Salute Military Golf Association. With my adaptive golf program, we've successfully helped thousands of soldiers in their recovery, both mentally and physically. The SMGA has been providing family-inclusive golf experiences across the country since 2007. To date, the SMGA has equipped more than 1,000 warriors with properly fitted golf clubs and has extended its clinic series to more than eight chapter and affiliate locations across the U.S. If you are a wounded veteran interested in participating or if you'd like to learn more about the Salute Military Golf Association and find a chapter closest to you, visit our website at smga.org. We've seen firsthand how impactful golf can be in aiding one's recovery. The Salute Military Golf Association, empowering wounded veterans one fairway at a time. Visit smga.org. That's smga.org. There you go, folks. They're doing amazing things there at the Salute Military Golf Association. To find out more information and to see how you can get involved, go online to smga.org. All right, it is time for me to put a bow on this episode of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks again to Tony Jacklin and Brian Jacobs for joining me this week. I hope you all enjoyed this show. Like I say every week, please give me your thoughts. Go online to our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Share your feedback there. Plus, if you have a question for one of our future guests or someone who's you know joined us on the show here in the not too distant past, please let me know. Get the, I'll get that question uh, you know on the uh, on the show for you and get them to answer it for you as well. So please check us out again on our Facebook page, Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Please also check out our website, nextonthetee.net, to see who some of our future guests are going to be. Plus, you can stream or download some of our archive episodes right from our website as well. Please also check out our sister show on the football side, Thursday Night Tailgate, with me and my co-host Bob Lazari and our announcer Joe Lajanusa. That show airs live every Thursday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. You can stream it live on Blog Talk Radio. That show, like this one, also available as a free podcast on iHeartRadio and over on Podbean. And we can't thank our good friends on Podbean enough for featuring both shows at different times throughout the year. You can find Thursday Night Tailgate in the football fan section. Next on the T, right there on the mobile app. It's been on the uh, on their homepage, right there on the mobile app at different times throughout the year. Can't thank them enough for all the support that they have given us. On Thursday Night Tailgate, we are joined every week by five NFL legends who come on, share their stories from their playing days, plus give us our insights into what's going on around the league now. Plus, we also highlight two players doing great things in their communities in our Spotlight on the Positive segment. Again, you can find that show online on our website, ThursdayNightTailgate.com, this show next on the T.net. Folks, thank you again for choosing to listen to this show today. We really appreciate the fact that you are making this show one of the podcasts or one of the shows that you are streaming. We appreciate you so very much. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends. You've been listening to Next on the T with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA pros and top instructors and media members go to tell their stories. Join us the same time every Tuesday to hear more stories about the game we love from people who love sharing those stories with you. It's all about the great game of golf. It's all about the great